you're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Welcome to the latest episode of Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders podcast. Today we're going to talk about continuous intelligence. Continuous intelligence is a combination of new and old technology that integrates historical and real-time analytics to operate, monitor, and tune different types of systems. These might be cellular networks, theme parks, factories, banking infrastructure, all types of systems. CI, continuous intelligence, generally encompasses data ingestion, transformation, as well as analytics and specific recommendations about decisions to make. It casts a wider net than traditional BI because it's also incorporating contextual data to help understand factors such as market behavior, social media trends, pricing trends, economic indicators. And it includes specific hooks into operational processes, uh, either recommendations or even automatically triggering action, which in turn generates more data to analyze so it can create a virtuous cycle. Here to talk about continuous intelligence today is Simon Crosby, who is Chief Technology Officer of SWIM. Simon, welcome for joining. Thanks. It's good to be here. So, Simon, to, to start, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your current role with SWIM. Cool. I'm CTO at SWIM.ai. I'm, a, I guess, a the perennial founder and CTO of small startupy things. I like to do <laughs> cool stuff at the at the bleeding edge. Um, fortunately, in the case of Swim, we have um, you know Chris Sachs, who is half my age and ten times smarter, leading the charge, and I'm lucky to be in a position just to prosthetize the wonderful things we've got going on. Previously, I've started several companies, and um, it's all been fun. So um, you're modest because I know there's some great exits and some great names in terms of your background. Um, as a serial entrepreneur with uh, successful exits and experience in telecommunications, virtualization, cloud computing, and security, and I might be missing some, what prompted you to take on this new challenge with Swim? You know, this is going to sound silly. I When I look at the rate of innovation at the moment, it's incredible, right? So the one thing I've managed to do, maybe I've turned it into a working method, is every time you know you have an opportunity to change, throw yourself into the hardest thing you can think of because it'll probably be relevant for a while. Whereas if you, you know, do something which everybody gets and so on, it's likely to be commoditized pretty soon. And that way, the world stays very interesting and challenging, and you continue to develop new skills. Very true. Life is an adventure, and it's important to keep learning. Um, so tell us about the, the specific market problem that SWIM seeks to solve and why your particular approach to continuous intelligence is distinct from, from other approaches and other vendors. Yeah, cool beans. So... Let's put some context on the world, right? So we're at a point in which ARM is shipping 20 billion CPUs a year, right? That's about 2 million an hour, and they've all got a lot to say. And the cloud and big data all says put it on a database somewhere and think about it later. And you know what? That's just not going to work. 
So the context is precisely this. There is more data than you could ever shake a stick at. And you have to make sense of it on increasingly short timescales because you literally can't afford to wait because the value of data is ephemeral. Um, let me give you a good example. We're working with a major mobile provider and what we're doing is processing four petabytes of data in real time per day to derive optimal connection um, assignments for 100 plus million mobile devices. Okay, you can't think about this stuff later. You've got to do it right now, and you have to do it continuously because they just never stop. So volumes of data going up, and the need for intelligence is uh, the timescales on which you have to deliver intelligence are decreasing. And that means you've got to analyze, think, and predict on the fly. And so tell us a little bit more about the solution that SWIM proposes uh, to solve this problem. <laughs> so you and I were talking about this cool thing, which is there's nothing really new in computing. Well, there's <laughs> nothing really new in computing, you know, and Moore's Law is one of them. But think about this. SWIM is an in-memory implementation of kind of the actor paradigm, which goes back oh, 50 years to Erlang, where everything in your data is represented in memory by a concurrent actor. We call them web agents because, hey, they have a URI as their object ID. And um, so these things are all concurrent and they all process their own raw streaming data and statefully evolve. And the cool thing about Swim is it, it builds this big in-memory graph which indicates the relationships between these things in real time. And that graph continually changes. And each one of these little actors, these web agents, continually analyzes, learns, and predicts on the fly as new data arrives. Okay? Now, doing this gives us quite phenomenal advantages. And people don't get this. So I'm going to say it slowly. By staying in memory, that is by being stateful and keeping all compute in memory, not reaching out to databases and so on, you go a million times faster. So I'm going to give you a real number for a million. A million times faster is this. If a CPU cycle is a nanosecond, that's an F18. Reaching out to a database is a banana slug. So your applications go a million times faster. <laughs> <laughs> By staying in memory and going at most low speeds, you also get to use 90% less infrastructure. So it's just phenomenal what you can do. So you've, you've got a knowledge graph that is mapping the relationships between different components of a system. Maybe it's a telecom network in the example you had. And then you're also incorporating a digital twin, which I think effectively the web agent. Maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. So these web agents are little actors, right? And they're, each one of them is continuously processing its own raw data from the real world and analyzing it and storing it locally in memory, right? So representing it locally in memory. But more than that, these things link to other web agents, continuously breaking and remaking a, a graph of relationships between things. It's a little bit like a LinkedIn for things, but it happens really fast. So let me give an example of really fast. 
find a truck with bad braking behavior and tell the inspector on the street in front to pull the truck over. So the notion of with bad braking behavior, you have to reevaluate every single time you get an update of the position of the truck. Um, and you have to compute this notion of close to an inspector, which is a geofencing operation, and approaching an inspector and generate a response in real time before the truck rolls by. You have to do that for every truck across an entire city. So these little things, these little wave agents, are not only processing their own raw data, they're also computing the analytics as data flows over this graph. And they're building the relationships. For example, a truck is related to the inspector who's about to pull it over. So the inspector can see the details of the truck. So here at Eckerson Group, um, we've looked at systems thinking and uh, systems models to help form and guide different uh, BI and analytics initiatives. And my colleague here, Dave Wells, has a blog series that advises enterprise to incorporate systems thinking into their operational processes, their strategic uh, planning processes, in order to address a more uncertain world, which 2020 certainly is. So this is an interdisciplinary study, as you know, of systems. They might be e-commerce sites, factories, or consumer markets. And it'll look at how distinct elements influence one another, which is very similar, I think, to the um, architecture that, that you're describing. You're creating models to predict patterns and relationships uh, between these different components. Yeah, there is, you know, I learned a huge amount from Dave. Um, so I strongly recommend his blog to everybody. Um, there is a subtle difference in our world, and that is that when data arrives, you compute. And so as data flows from the real world, it drives computation automatically. So there is always an answer. You don't drive computation when somebody looks, right? which tends to be a more analytics-based notion. But okay. sure, analytics is a really powerful and compelling need for every organization. And so that's fair. And so, but you have machine learning models that are continuously assessing and I believe revising themselves to address the interdependencies of these elements in the system. Sure. And, um, and maybe you could talk about that and what, from an implementation perspective, is required to create these machine models and what level of uh, skills are required to, to enable that. So all we need is somebody with Java skills. And if you can think about a little object-oriented program, which is how the things in your world relate. So I'll move to traffic. So for example, you know, a traffic intersection has 100 sensors and traffic intersections have neighbors. As long as you know those minimalist relationships, the notion of training is gone and analytics, you know, the complex need to understand how to manipulate data, these all go away. Put it this way. If I said to you, Kevin, do you like blueberry muffins? <laughs> you know the answer, right? Because you've learned it. You don't have to reach out to your mom and phone her and say, which is the same as reaching out to database and say, hey, do I like blueberry muffins? You know, you can learn it. And so once you form these web agents, they can do amazing things. And sure, 
you have to have a platform that's capable of doing it, and Swim can do this. Um, all the algorithms that you need for continuous analysis, learning, and prediction are part of Swim. And so you can continuously learn from real-world data, which means you continuously adapt, right? Just like you continuously adapt your idea of blueberry muffins. And so the idea of continuous intelligence incorporates this notion that you have to be able to modify the algorithms that we use so you deal with boundless data. But that's a rapidly evolving area of research. And there are tons of really cool algorithms which can do this. And if you have a huge investment in your own kind of analytics, sure, Swim can interface to Spark. So, for example, we could just push RDDs directly into Spark. But if you want to do something continuous, it's you know hopefully just in Swim. So the cool thing is, is what I've observed is that relatively simple models, so unsupervised learning, learning from their own real-world experience, as it were, relatively simple things can give you a huge lift. So we've done ton of work in traffic prediction in U.S. cities, for example. And what we found is that very simple um, neural nets can learn and predict their own future two minutes out um, in a very easy way, very computationally efficient, and you know, not using the latest and greatest algorithms that have come out in the research world. So the, maybe what I learned there is that a modest improvement or a good improvement in this style of learning has immense benefit because it's very easy to consume. I don't need to have a data scientist and a ton of data in the cloud and training and a model for my city and so on. It just builds itself. And that's really powerful. So I've been exploring, as you know, continuous intelligence um, with some blogs with Eckerson Group and advising enterprises to um, extend their existing architectures with modular changes and additions in order to address continuous intelligence functionality rather than ripping and replacing. And I'm curious what type of approach you're recommending um, you're a startup, so there's not a huge installed base, obviously. Um, you're working with large enterprises that are going to have a pretty extensive architecture. Talk about how you fit into and complement what, what they have. Yeah, the, you know, we can't rip and replace stuff. And everybody has got static data of some form. So if I go back to my mobile provider, they have tons of static data about how their systems behave and static data about all their devices and so on, much of which we aren't allowed to see. And so really there is a need for a fusion. And we, again, we do it in these web agencies, little, I guess, smart digital twins of things, um, which can consume both static and even big data forms of data you have at rest as well as fusing that on the fly with what you learn in the real world. And that's a really important thing to be able to do because for starters, everybody has assets already, but also things in the real world in their streaming data don't tell you all you need to know to be able to make a decision. So you could say, if I go back to my truck example, 
pull over only repeat offender trucks. Okay, is this guy repeat offender? That thing will be set somewhere in statically on some disk someplace, and that's important to be able to fuse the fact that now he's driving his truck and he has bad braking behavior. Okay, so the fusion of these two kinds of data is really important, and we do that in Web18. Okay, if I'm an organization that's running a fleet of trucks and want to optimize their delivery, route around storms, uh, route around traffic patterns, and so forth, um, we could hook a GPS or go with the smartphone of the drivers and use that as the input, and then layer onto um, an existing, let's say, cloud-based infrastructure in order to process those signals using the SWIM solution. Um, is that a is that a fair summary? What would be the method of data transfer? So yeah, totally fair. I always get dragged in conversations around where these things should run. You know, do you run in particular in that case, a real world example, do you run this at the edge, right? And we always get sucked into this. And my view on where is that it's the edge is not a place. That is the edge is is wherever you get to see unencrypted data and you happen to be able to compute. And often that is the cloud. Sometimes it's on-prem, right? And what I find is that for mobile devices in general, the cloud is, you know, obviously a place where all the data can get to. And so we often do a lot of work up there for those kinds of use cases. If you happen to know the network, um, and it's often wired networks, in a kind of an IoT scenario, then sure, on-prem makes sense. But the cloud is becoming more and more prevalent as the data rates grow. And yeah, everything's on the internet, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so would you layer onto and take advantage of Kafka? Yes. So, you know, this Kafka and Pulsar and, and God, there are a million other services which implement this notion of PubSub are really important infrastructure for delivering data from unknown number of edge things to an unknown number of apps, right? So they're an important buffer, but they don't run the application themselves. Even AWS Lambda is an example of a thing which can you know, take any number of inputs. So yes, we can interface to all those and they are really critical in many customers' minds as ways to get data into the application. And they're becoming, I sometimes think of Kafka as the next generation enterprise notion of select, right? <laughs> select was the thing for a traditional relational database. You know, now people are always going to their Kafka streams to understand the latest state of their products, their infrastructure, whatever it happens to. So those are good sources of data. They don't run the app. And Swim is all about the app layer. So this is very interesting. There are many enterprises out there. A lot of them would have IoT type use cases, but the common symptoms that we might use to identify their need for continuous intelligence and, and the kind of solution that you're talking about would be that they need to go more real-time in terms of analyzing data. They need a broader sense of context 
um, not just the core system transactional elements and data, but a broader sense of context about market factors, about weather, all kinds of things. And then they might also need not just the real-time insight, but the operational trigger, let's say to trigger a robotic process automation, something like that. Those, those seem to be the primary symptoms um, that enterprises can use to identify, okay, I might need to think about continuous intelligence. Um, what's your perspective on that? Um, I think you're spot on. But first of all, this idea of big data and data lakes and everything else um, is clearly running <laughs> out of steam, right? We need to accept that. We, we just can't deal with the volume of data. And then, in addition, we can get answers a million times faster. You can use only 10% of the infrastructure you would have had to use for big data because you're running at Moore's Law rates. The other key thing here is that the apps are easy to develop and operate. When I deal with a lot of customers, they look at me with this day's look in their eyes, and Amazon has now got 150 services, Microsoft and Google are similar, and they don't know where to start. So the cool thing here is that we're saying to people, gosh, just develop a little program in Java and you're done, right? So I think it's really important that people understand that we can meet them where they are in terms of skill sets, not require that they have the same people as Google, then we can empower them to do data science on live data, which is really cool because businesses have to respond more and more quickly to a changing world. Tell us additional guiding principles that you would have to enterprises of various types as they scope and potentially address CI opportunities or continuous intelligence opportunities for their business. What are some common lessons learned and practices? So one thing we haven't covered in this conversation, it's a lot of fun, yeah. thank you, is something I continue to run into, which is that people believe, I think mostly because Microsoft and Amazon and Google spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year telling them that smarter databases will do the trick. And they won't. Faster databases or smarter databases are not going to solve this problem for you. And there are several reasons for this. The database cannot find meaning in your raw data. Okay, and so the, the whole point here in continuous intelligence is that the data itself is informing us how to build the graph in memory. It's building meaning, okay? And that's really important. And meaning changes all the time because, for example, the truck gets close to the inspector and then goes away again, right? So context and all that geospatial stuff is important. So databases contract fluid real-world relationships. They really cannot analyze, learn, or predict. And, you know, yeah, I see a Microsoft ASA product has machine learning in it. It's not going to learn something for me without training. Um, so they don't do that. Databases are poorly suited to streaming data in the there's a huge amount of focus on acid which is this notion of atomistic consistency and so on um, and it's very heavyweight when we're dealing with real world data and so eventual consistency is a much more powerful notion that we should focus on in the case of real world data often the notion of truth 
you know, relational databases are good at things where truth matters, like trucks have engines. But often when we're dealing with real-world data, we're looking at statistics or learning or, or distributions of things. And so truth isn't so important. Time is always fundamental when we're dealing with real-world data. The ordering of data is absolutely crucial, and it's not just for ordering. It's also for things like correlation. So when the temperature is high and the coolant volume is low and the RPM is high, yeah, the engine is probably going to blow up, right? So it's fundamental that we know, have this notion of time, which is just absent in databases. And then the real world is full of really interesting mathematical, geospatial, and other relationships, which databases just don't know anything about. So I, I, you know, I just don't see it happening in a database world. Plus, they're a million times slower. And so when you talk about eventual consistency, maybe you could just explain for our listeners a little more about what you mean there. It's a model of consistency that says eventually, but I'll let you talk through it. Eventually, you will know. But the key thing is, you know, the idea of eventual consistency is perhaps poorly phrased. In the, in the case of swim, let me give an example. You're watching an airplane take off, and it goes behind a building and then pops out the other side. Now, during the time when you couldn't see it, that's equivalent to not knowing, right? Did it go to Mars? Did it go to the moon? You have no idea. Eventually, it pops out the other side, and you know. But you really don't care about the data that you lost when it was behind the building. You didn't have to see it on its every step on its trajectory. What really matters is now, and that you have a current view of the thing. Okay, And that's eventual consistency. Not that you have all correct data from the whole entire past. And in SWIM, the guarantee of eventual consistency is that every instance running a distributed swim application will be consistent within half of the round trip time between those two instances. So extraordinarily fast. Okay. Um, so it, as we alluded to earlier, these are very interesting, volatile and uncertain times for any enterprise organization trying to operate and strategically plan. And that has a few impacts. One is that there's a higher need for contextual data because you can no longer take certain things for granted. Uh -huh. You cannot take for granted, for example, that uh, all the kids in a given neighborhood will be going to school the next day or the next week. Um, so there are, there are a lot of things to start to change. And I'm, I'm curious what the role of COVID is in shaping your market opportunity and the dynamics that we're talking about here. Well, I think COVID has accelerated the notion for every enterprise of some notion of digital transformation, right? If we're in a comfortable place, which was inefficient before, we're in another uncomfortable place, and now we have to be ruthlessly efficient, and we have to be more real-time in terms of our decisions and planning and everything else. Okay, so automation is forefront for many of our customers, and the need to be able to reach decisions very quickly, okay? It's just accelerated that thinking. Um, and so as people think about their organizations now, they realize that 
every product is going to be instrumented. So you're producing a physical product, it'll have a CPU in it, and it'll call home. If you have a, you know, a digital product, it'll also call home. Google Analytics calls home, right? So every product calls home. Every organization wants instrumentation as to how well it's using its suppliers or its uh, pipeline or its employees, okay? So all of this, there's this trend towards IT becoming a strategic advisor to the org in terms of its best use of computational and other resources, and that needs to be real time. So to my mind, continuous intelligence is the consequence of accelerated times, and um, organizations are beginning to deal with that now. Simon, this has been very educational, as have all of our conversations. Really appreciate you joining today. Are there any um, additional comments that you'd have or insights on the opportunity of continuous intelligence in today's world? I think there's just one thing I'd, I'd wish, and that is that people understand that hugging data isn't <laughs> going to get them there. That is, just putting data on this isn't going to get you intelligence and that it is possible to get intelligence from data on the fly. You don't have to throw the data away. If you want to store it, that's fine by me. Um, it's just you get the intelligence first and you store later. In many cases, you won't ever look at the data again, but the key thing is, is you can derive intelligence on the fly and use that to fuel you know, a faster operation. Very cool stuff. Simon, thanks again. We appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.